the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From policy to culture, principles to politics, this is the Seth Leibson Show. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And welcome back. I'm sorry I had an earphone problem. My bad. Welcome back uh, to the uh, Seth Leibson Show. Let me give out the phone number. Your hour, if you want, open line 602-508-0960-602-508-0960. There was a column in the Wall Street Journal that I wanted to share with you from uh, Jason Riley. And it's titled, um, As Black Voters Sour on Biden, Will They Abandon Democrats? Now, I know we've heard this kind of talk for years, and it's kind of I want to put I want to I want to put these comments in context of what I was saying in the previous segment before the top of the hour break about voter suppression, which seems to be something Republicans are routinely criticized for engaging in uh, absent any evidence. That's the way it works here. You can just say something about Republicans and it takes hold if and only if it's a negative, if it's a pejorative. Um, You would think with all this voter suppression that we've been engaged in for the past 30 years, some evidence would have uh, revealed itself or been shown. There is none uh, because there is none. And yet that's what we're continually being accused of engaging in because somehow, some way, we still happen to believe that the 14th Amendment, Section 2, when it says all persons, it means all persons. And we don't believe in divvying districts up necessarily based on the racial or ethnic makeup of a state. Though we engage in it, I think we do so with the greatest of diffidence. We should do so with the greatest of diffidence until we can overturn the rules that require us to do this because I think it is odious, odious to believe that someone's ethnicity or race dictates how they should think, believe, vote, or act. In fact, that is nearly the definition of prejudice and racism, that their race dictates their behavior, thought, actions, policies, and beliefs. It shouldn't. You give me, um, just to put a highlight on it, without knowing who these people are, uh, if you were to put a, you know, a picture of, uh, I don't know, uh, let's say Shelby Steele, since he's not that recognizable, he doesn't do a lot of TV. If you put Shelby Steele uh, next to, um, I don't know, uh, a congressman from the CBC or uh, next to uh, Kamala Harris, would you know how Shelby Steele votes? Well, the leftist has the notion that he should vote the same way the picture of Kamala Harris intones. That's what they believe. They believe that's you got it from Joe Biden. You got it from Joe Biden when he told Charlemagne that if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. 
That is how the Democrats believe that race dictates, ethnicity dictates how you think and how you should think, how you vote and how you should vote. That may be changing. We thought under Donald Trump we were making inroads. We thought we were making inroads, and indeed he did improve for Republican presidential candidate the numbers and the percentages for which African-Americans were willing to vote for him. Um, but it didn't – it wasn't big enough. It wasn't strong enough. So here's Jason Riley in uh, the Wall Street Journal saying this may be changing. It may be changing. A piece in New York Magazine reports that in the House races in 2018, Democrats actually won a smaller share of the African-American vote than they had in the 2016 presidential election. Now, he goes on to say Joe Biden did win 92 percent of black voters in 2020, no doubt benefiting from having been Mr. Obama's vice president. But it's been all downhill since then. His job approval rating among all voters is down. We all know this. But among black Americans, it's been cratering. An NBC News poll shows that black support for the president, which was at 83 percent just last spring, has dropped, cratered to 64 percent. A Quinnipiac, uh, I always get caught up on this, a Quinnipiac survey released showed the same, uh, poll released showed the same 22-point decline in black support for Mr. Biden during his first year in office. He now has, according to CNN, a job approval rating at just 69% in the African-American community. Democrats know Jason Riley writes, they can't win elections without much higher levels of support. Think about what a 30 percent drop in African-American support for a president would mean or a turn to the Republican candidate for president would mean to the Democratic Party. Um, So, as Mr. Riley writes, Joe Biden has been doing what Democrats normally do to buck up black support, identity politics. He's promising to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court, supports legislation that would address imaginary voter suppression. He wants to expand the welfare state. But this sort of racial pandering may not work like it used to. It may not. The country has witnessed a lot of political norm breaking over the last several years, particularly in the Donald Trump era and less black support for the Democratic Party could be a part of the trend. It's easy to forget how bad things were for blacks economically during the Obama presidency. You wouldn't think it was true, but it was true. Black unemployment didn't fall below double digits until the third year of Mr. Obama's second term. Second to the last year of Barack Obama's second term. Unemployment in the black community was double digits until then. Prior to the pandemic, black unemployment under Mr. Trump, however, reached record lows and black wages rose at a faster rate than white wages. 
Mr. Obama may have symbolized racial progress symbolically, but you can't pay the rent with symbolism. Jason Riley writes. He goes on to say the experience of the black experience in America partly explains why minority support for Mr. Trump ticked up in 2020. It might also explain why blacks have soured on Mr. Biden. Inflation, which the current administration first denied and then played down. How did they play it down? Do you remember? They said it would be temporary. They said it would be temporary. Is that a 40-year high? Blacks are overrepresented among low-income workers who are watching prices rise faster than their wages. Think about what it means. How long ago was it? Not long ago. When almost every Democrat was talking about how most Americans are only a few hundred dollars away from not being able to support themselves if they lose their paycheck. They only have a few hundred dollars in savings. Now think about what inflation has done to that same portion of the American population. It's increased their, it's increased their pricing $250 a month. A month. If you only have a few hundred dollars to spare, think about what $250 more a month without having gotten a raise means because of inflation. It means when it comes to buying food, means when it comes to spending on anything, anything, paying your rent, paying your mortgage. $250 a month is, not a, is, 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 is a lot of money for a lot of people who can't afford it and the wages haven't risen to meet it. Mr. Biden's efforts to appease his party's progressive wing are also costing him black support, according to Mr. Riley, who himself, I should say, maybe is a black American, is an African-American. Black politicians and activists, he writes, tend to be far more liberal than the average black voter. This I believe to be true, too, in my experience. On issue after issue, school choice, defunding the police, voter ID, racial preferences, Individual black Americans hold more conservative views than the elites who claim to represent them. Notice how many people aren't black who make claims to these policies, who are against school choice, who are in favor of defunding the police, who are against voter ID. Think about it. Last time you saw a spokesman, nine out of ten times, it's not a black spokesman. It's a white spokesman. Let me return on much of this when I come back, and I will be right back. 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 602-508-0960 is the number if you'd like to join the conversation. I was uh, reading from um, Jason Riley's piece in the Wall Street Journal. I always read Jason Riley's really insightful. And as a uh, someone who himself is an African-American, he too is also someone who is... Obsessed isn't the right word, but let's just say highly interested in seeing the monolith of Democratic, large D, Democratic Party voting uh, taking place uh, in, 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 in the black community and seemingly unshakable, wishing it would change, hoping for signs that it will change. Um, he cites two political scientists, uh, Ismail White and Cheryl Laird, in their book, Steadfast Democrats as saying that black partisan loyalty is less issue-based and has to do with social pressure from other people within the African-American community. But as the black middle class grows, 
Riley writes, and black interests become less unified and more varied, the solidarity politics we see among black voters should inevitably start to wane, as it has with other racial and ethnic groups. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. But let's not just put all of this. I'll return to his column in a moment. I just want to make the point. Let's not put all of this into hopes of Democratic Party continuing failure. We shouldn't be rooting for failure on the economy or anything else. And it's not enough to say, well, the Democrats are failing the black community. That's, it's not enough to say that. What we have to do as conservatives, what we have to do as Republicans, is engage on these very issues in a way where we are not afraid. And I understand very well why we are afraid, why so many are, not me. Well, so many are afraid and not all of them, not everyone. Donald Trump wasn't afraid. He went in and he got more votes. He got a higher percentage of the vote because he went in to the black communities and campaigned there and talked to them about the things that he thought he could help them with. And son of a gun, he did, as the numbers that I cited in the previous uh, segment uh, revealed. There are larger trends that Mr. Biden and his party are up against, Mr. Riley writes, and the question is whether Republicans will take advantage of the situation. Will we? Will we start talking about business ownership? Will we start talking about business growth more? Will we start talking about home ownership? Will we start talking about getting more people into an ownership society, which isn't, you know, we, I have to step back and say we just say things like ownership society as if that's self-explanatory. Think about what it means to own something. Think about what it means. There's a pride in ownership. That's an expression. You take pride in something. which You have an investment in it. You have skin in the game. You care about it. You want to nurture it. You want to protect it. You want to grow it. As Jack Kemp said, like to say, when's the last time anyone took a rental car to the car wash, right? When's the last time anyone took a rental car to the car wash? Um, so Riley is thinking – that there are some openings here. The economic gains, he writes, we experienced prior to the pandemic were real, and no one benefited more than the black community. The establishment media ignored the story, but Republicans could do worse than talk about it nonstop between now and November, but not just that. And I understand if, 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 if Donald Trump uh, and memories of Donald Trump may not be the right thing for a certain candidate to speak about in certain times, certain places, certain communities, certain states. I can appreciate that. Talk about the policies or talk about Ronald Reagan as well. Do people understand how well the black community did under Ronald Reagan? African-American unemployment fell from 19.5% in 1983 to 11.4% in 1989 under Ronald Reagan after his tax cuts gained traction. It's not enough that unemployment fell. Black-owned businesses saw income rise from $12.4 billion in 1982 to a whopping $18.1 billion in 1987, an annual average growth rate of 7.9%. Think about that. David Schweikert was on with us uh, about this time an hour ago 
talking about the Atlanta Fed. I think it was the Atlanta Fed, but one of the Federal Reserves is projecting 1% economic growth or 1.1% economic growth. That's a miserable number. We should never tolerate a number like 1% or 1.1%. Under Ronald Reagan, just among the African-American community, you had an annual growth rate in, at least in, in, in black-owned businesses alone of practically 8%, 7.9%. The black middle class expanded by one-third during the Reagan years. Do people know that? Do people know that? And it's not because of Reagan. And it's not because of Trump. It's because of the policies that they engaged in, the opportunity policies, the growth policies. That's the kind of thing we should be talking about if we care about this issue. And I know we all do. I know we all do. It's hard in respect that they continually try to turn us off within the black community or shut us down in wanting to approach issues and talk about issues that might be good in the black community. It's hard because they call you a racist. Ask them to prove it. Ask them to prove it because what their strategy is is to plaster the name, the epithet racist or racism on anything they don't like. It simply stands for Republican. Well, Republican shouldn't stand for racist and it doesn't stand for racism. And I'd like to think that our history and our legacy teaches the rest of the country that it doesn't and it shouldn't. When Joe Biden gave that horrible speech in Georgia saying, are you on the side of Bull Connor or Martin Luther King? Are you on the side of Jefferson Davis, or what did he contrast that with? Abraham Lincoln. I'm surprised he said that. I'm surprised he said that. The George Wallace, who he also invoked, are you on the side of George Wallace or whoever he contrasted it with? I'm surprised he said that because those were Democratic Party problems. Those were Democratic Party leaders. Those were Democratic Party politicians, Bull Connor, George Wallace, all of them. No one gave George Wallace a harder time on television that I had ever seen than William F. Buckley Jr. on Firing Line. Go back and watch it. Go back and watch it. You can do this with YouTube now or whatever video service you like. The Firing Line episodes from the 60s, 70s, oh, well, all of them, all of them from the 60s to the 90s are available. No one gave George Wallace a harder time. And no one gave him an easier time than the Democratic Party, which is why that was the party he chose to affiliate with. So I was a bit surprised to see Joe Biden try and do that. But that's the world – excuse me. That's the world we live in. Everything is inverted. And if in the modern parlance you want to condemn a party or a policy you don't like, whether it has anything or nothing to do with race, you simply call it racist. That's what we've become. I'll say something more about that when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm always, I'm always just stopped when I hear that voice. Such a good voice. Such a tragedy. It's been silenced due to, uh, due to his disease. Uh, we send our best thoughts uh, always to uh, Randy Travis. Um, he's been suffering uh, and rendered, been rendered mute for some time now. What a shame. What a great voice. Someone was asking me the other day. Is asking me. It was. It wasn't on the air. It was a friend of mine. We were talking about great country music, and who kind of is most responsible for making it popular again. And I said, um, 
I said, you know, aside from the ladies in the 90s, I think you have to go to – someone said I think it was Garth Brooks. That's what it was. He said it was Garth Brooks. I said, you know, I think before Garth it was uh, Randy Travis. I think Randy Travis did it before Garth. Garth brought in a new generation of listeners and kind of helped change country music a little bit, and he brought a new element to it. But I think Randy Travis gets a little more credit. Garth is still out there doing great work, of course. Anyway, um, I digress. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. I was making the point that um, the modern uh, political dialogue and rhetoric of the day is to uh, plaster racism and uh, charge racism uh, against any policy, regardless of whether it has anything to do with race. Did my monologue on Monday on on this, um, Jennifer Say. Do you know who Jennifer Say is? I, I spent my monologue on Monday paying tribute to her. She's a leftist in San Francisco. She describes herself as left of left of center. She was a brand president and executive vice president at the Levi Strauss Company in San Francisco. And she was working in her spare time, not on her company time, and never identifying herself as, a, as an employee of Levi Strauss. She, she, she spent all her time working to get schools back open. And internally, she tried to get the company to get behind opening schools, and they shut her down. They said, we're not about these hyper-local issues, though they were about every other issue under the sun, including transgender rights in local places like San Francisco. So they ultimately dismissed her. They ultimately dismissed her from Levi Strauss because they said her campaign to open the schools was racist. Racist. The campaign to open schools was racist. San Francisco and schools are in the news an awful lot today. And it's a weird thing when you see that three school board members were recalled by 70 percent or more of the vote in each one of those recalls. That's what I saw, 70 percent or more of the vote. You know, it'd be an interesting question for a journalist to ask Nancy Pelosi. She's not shy of doing interviews. I'll hand that to her. I will give her credit for doing what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won't. She'll actually sit for almost any any major interview. You see her on almost every Sunday. She'll do it. She, she's she's widely available uh, for interviews. And I'll, I'll hand her credit for that. That's something Hillary Clinton couldn't say, something Joe Biden and Kamala Harris can't today say. Nancy Pelosi does it. What she says is another thing, but she's willing to do it. You know what a good question would be for a reporter to ask her? How'd she vote on these recalls? Happened in her city. Do you think she voted to recall any of these three school board members? That would be an interesting thing for someone to ask her. Anyway, back to Jennifer Say and Levi Strauss being dismissed for racism for the crime of campaigning to open the schools in San Francisco which was the crime, political crime, that these three school board members were ousted over, not doing enough to open the school. San Francisco residents wanted their schools open. What parents don't want their schools open? She was fired for racism. The Racist Act, again, nothing more, wanting nothing more than the schools to be open and accessible, which, as I have to point out, aside from the 70-plus percent of the voters in San Francisco— is the same thing that has been wanted for years by everyone. 
from parents, children, teachers, and teachers' children, and probably more nonprofits than any other dedicated to helping schools out. Probably. And, of course, in every state of the union, there are laws that require school attendance, so far as I know. So she's racist for wanting to comply with all that because virtual learning wasn't getting it done? I'll say even more about it when we come back. And we will be right back. 602-508-0960 is our uh, phone number. I was speaking about Jennifer Say, the Levi Strauss executive who was fired for racism, race. Racist acts being her advocacy for opening the schools in San Francisco, this woman who describes herself as left of the left. By the way, let me tie that point for a moment to the point Jason Riley was making about African-American voters and his hope that, you know, they will turn more and more to the Republican Party. Um, my, my point about that is we should always be as conservatives evangelizing always be closing as the mantra of salesmen as conservatives it should be always always be converting i suppose if you need to keep it as abc always be converting always be evangelizing because you never know where your next coalition is going to come from or your next support is going to come from i thought conservatives would build their ranks over the policies on college campuses that saw to themselves good liberal thinkers being silenced because they weren't woke enough. I thought we might see converts from liberals who were silenced because they didn't buy into the progressive agenda. You think of those professors at uh, Oregon State, Hang and her Heather Hang and her husband who were, they thought, good lefties until they uh, got the ire of their university for refusing not to teach on a day the university proclaimed no whites should attend classes or teach classes. They didn't put up with that. They thought, we're teaching. And they life was made uncomfortable for them, let's put it that way. So they had to leave. They had to leave. I thought that's where we would get our next set of converts. You know, in the 70s, the conservative movement got a lot of converts over issues having to do with foreign policy, particularly our fight against communism. Some of them came to the Republican Party over issues like affirmative action particularly in the mid in places like Michigan. Some of them came to us over issues like abortion. A lot of Catholic Democrats did. I don't know why we've given up talking about these things. I really don't. I really don't. The Arizona State Legislature just passed a very good bill, a very good piece of legislation protecting unborn life. How many how many are out there talking about it? How many are out there making an issue of it? They should. These are the things that matter most, aren't they? These are the things that matter most. But I'm thinking now, if we're going to get our next set of converts, it may be over what we've seen during COVID. 
And when you look at someone like Jennifer Say and what she's written over at Substack about her experience with Levi Strauss, this woman who describes herself as left of left of center, having been fired because of racism, racism because she wanted to open schools, didn't agree with school closures, there becomes a point of political allegiance to a party that is so vicious and nonsensical at the same time, you truly do think you're living in 1984, up with which you will no longer put. Does it mean they'll become Republicans immediately? No. The way convert politi- these, most of these political conversions work is, is you find your own party is no longer responsive to your interests and you take a look at the other party on it, whether it was affirmative action or whether it was our confrontation with the Soviet Union in the 70s or whether it was uh, the abortion issue uh, with the Catholic Democrats in uh, Michigan that turned so strongly for Reagan. You, you come kind of looking to the other party on one issue and then you slowly realize the water's just fine. And more and more you realize because of what Tina was saying – the conservative program takes a look at the whole person, takes a look at the whole economy of the universe. We're not just about individual issues, which is why there is more dissent within the conservative movement, which is why there is more disagreement within the Republican Party than there is within the Democratic Party. You don't find a lot of dissension within the Democratic Party or within the left. You just don't find it like you do in the conservative movement because on the individual specific policies here and there, we do have disagreements. But when we look at the whole picture, the whole man, the whole country, we are at our best and those differences tend to end up being rather small. Flat tax versus consumption versus just simply lowering marginal tax rates – yeah, we have our own opinions as conservatives and Republicans and disagreements about those things. But the general direction is for economic growth, individual prosperity and less confiscation. And so we'll all stay under the same tent as we work towards any one of those three. Just to take one example of places where we have dissent or dissensions or disagreements amongst ourselves. You don't have that. You don't have those disagreements in the Democratic Party. You just don't because they are all about the specifics. They are all about the specifics. In any event, that's how conversions tend to work. You come in and you find that with one issue, you're in more and more agreement with the other party, the Republican Party, and then you find another one and then another one and then another one and then you have them. So I am hoping people like Jennifer Say will look at us and say, well, okay, maybe this year I don't go out and work for the Democrats. And then maybe two years from there, you go out and say, well, I like this Republican or I like the Republicans on this issue. And then you go and increase and build on that because it's awfully hard when you think you're doing the right thing by yourself, by your country, by your family, by your children to then be called a racist. It's an awfully hard thing. And when it turns on the left over COVID – over school openings, over committed charitable people who want nothing more than the schools to be open for them to be called racist and have to lose their livelihood because of it. I'm telling you, folks, we play this thing the way we're supposed to. The country is our oyster for the Republican Party. 
Play it smart and play it right. Thank you for spending some of your time with us today. Again, thank you to also Chris Llewellyn manning uh, the production uh, and producer duties today. Chris, much appreciated. Bill will be back tomorrow. Um, As you know, I am consumed with the book 1984, continually finding things uh, from that book that apply to our times. And when you think about what's been done in the name of science in this country, which is to say no science or absurd science or controversial science or controvertible science, I thought this passage all the more relevant. All members of the inner party believe in this coming conquest as an article of faith is to be achieved either by gradually acquiring more and more territory and so building up an overwhelming preponderance of power or by the discovery of some new and unanswerable weapon. The search for new weapons continues unceasingly and is one of the very few remaining activities in which the inventive or speculative type of mind can find any outlet. In Oceana, at the present day, science, in the old sense, has almost ceased to exist. Not making this up. Listen to this. In Oceana, at the present day, science, in the old sense, has almost ceased to exist. In Newspeak, think about what we're allowed to talk about and say on Twitter or Facebook or other social media before we're getting banned, Newspeak. In Newspeak, there is no word for science. The empirical method of thought on which all the scientific achievements of the past were founded is opposed to the most fundamental principles of socialism. And even technological progress only happens when its products can in some way be used for the diminishing of human liberty. Think about that. Even technological progress only happens when its products can in some way be used for the diminishing of human liberty. Think about that. Have a great rest of your evening, your day, your afternoon, however you count it. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.